Well, good morning. Such a blessing to, to be back and give you an update through the video there of, of the ministry. It's five years of, of clinics in uh, Oregon, Washington, and Montana, and we're looking forward to continuing our, our clinics up here. We'll do another football one. I think the following year we'll probably add basketball, so that means, Chris, you're going to have to be involved with the, the basketball clinic. But it's, as it says in the video, it's, it's all about uh, using sports as a medium to, to advance the gospel. Uh, I tell people, if you can figure out a better way to get 100 and 125 kids together at one time to hear the gospel, I'll do it. But the way I know how to do it is, is, is through sports. And so we are, we are very, very blessed uh, to do that. Also very blessed again uh, to, to share with you the, this morning. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 5 this morning. This is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through, through 16, being disciples of the world through being salt and light. I'm going to go ahead and read those verses for you and then we can, we can get started. This is Jesus' words. Primarily speaking to the disciples, although he's, he's speaking to uh, a large group of people here. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, if, if we're in Christ, obviously we have a, a testimony. We have a salvation story of how we came to the, the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. And in mine, like, like some of yours, might be, might be a bit colorful, I had a uh, very colorful past outside of Christ. I think of uh, Ephesians uh, 2, uh, 1 and 2, where, where Paul was writing and saying, talking about our former life outside of Christ, that we were dead in our sins and transgressions, and that our lives were controlled by the, the prince of the power of the air who worked through the sons of, of disobedience. And boy, I'm not going to uh, tell you all the, I can tell you personally, but all the stories and the depravity and all the, the wicked things that I did outside of Christ. And, but that changed. It changed in the, the fall of 93, 1993 for me. We were uh, having a um, party, so to speak, at a, at a house that I was living at with a couple roommates. And one of my um, roommates, uh, uh, it was a manager, and he brought some of his employees. And one of the employees that that he brought was this young gal named named Tracy. And uh, Tracy was a, a young believer in Christ, very zealous for her faith, and and really uh, kind of was a joy kill to that event uh, because because of her presence being there, we couldn't uh, do and say some of the things that that we would we would have normally done. And so as uh, I talked with, with her uh, during that time. She started to, to challenge me and started to share her faith with me. And I told her about the church background I had growing up. And my father was an elder in a church. And, and uh, she said, so you're a Christian, right? And I go, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I went back and, and I grabbed the one book 
that I had in my room, which was my Bible, and brought it out. See, see, I'm a Christian. That's, that was what I was basing it upon, and she wasn't buying it, and, and she shouldn't have been buying it. And so she says, well, why don't you go to church with me? So I said, all right. I guess I can't, I kind of walked into that one, right? So, so I, went, I went for about four weeks, and during that four weeks, the Lord started to, to work on my heart, and he started to convict me of, of the sin, of the wretchedness of my, of my life. And so, so four weeks later, uh, I, I'm really starting to kind of figure out, you know, the whole concept of good and evil and heaven and hell and God and Satan and, and kind of kind of freaked out about the whole thing. And so I drove over to my parents' house early one morning. My dad was uh, loading up to, to go fishing for the day. And we talked for a few minutes and, and uh, ironically, he sat me down on the, on the, the couch and gave me the sports page. And so I was reading through the, through the sports page and, and it just, it just kind of hit me that I've been, that I had been duped for 23 years, that, that Satan was getting the best of me. And if Satan's getting the best of me, then well, there's somebody that could get the best, best of me, right? And so, so at that moment, I, I, in, in deep conviction of, of my sin, I, I prayed and, and I asked the Lord to forgive me. And, and at the end of my prayer, I said, and Lord, I want to join the fight. Now, that, that I, I still am blown away about the fact that that was on my heart at that moment because I had no idea what the fight was about. I had no idea what it meant to, to really walk with Christ and, and the battles that I would, would face along the way. But it didn't take long to figure these, these battles out. We have a lot of battles, right? As Christians, we have a lot of battles that, a lot of fronts that we, that we are expected to, to, to engage in. And I think as Christians, really one of the things at the top of the list is, is our responsibility, and please get this, our responsibility to take action in a morally corrupt world. We're not, we're not to be passive. We're to be, be, be influencers in this world. And that's not an easy task. That is not an easy task. This world is on a death spiral. And this world is not getting any better. I think of Romans chapter one and the, the progression of, of the, you know, the sexual sins and, and then the Lord giving, giving the, the world over their, their retrobate mind. And you see, you see things in the world where everything is being flipped. You know, good is evil and evil is good. And, and you know, if, you, if you stand for what is right, there's something wrong, for, wrong about you. That, that's the world that we live in. I was just talking with a, with a teacher after the first service. I was talking about their school where you know, there's, there's uh, gay couples in the school and there's, uh, I think, five students that are identifying as, as, as transgender. That's what he's dealing with on a, on a daily basis. You think about the evil in our country of, of uh, six million abortions since that's become legal. Six million murders in, excuse me, 60 million murders in our country. Uh, we just went through this um, political season where we learned so much about corruption in, in, our, in our political, uh, in, our, in our government. 
You know, just the, the general lying and cheating and stealing and, and you know, the cursing of God, all the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis as Christians. And, and, I, and I admit, and I will fully admit, as a Christian, and I, and I know you, you feel the same way, it's, it's, it's really easy to want to fall into that trap of just ignoring it, right? Finding ways to kind of circumvent what's going on in the world and, and not dealing with it. You know, we, we like the idea of a holy huddle, right? We like this time on Sunday mornings, right? Uh, you, you can have conversations that, that you agree with. You, you don't have to worry about getting into conversations that, that are going to be offensive in nature. You know, it's, it's an easy temptation just to want to spend time with, with just other Christians. It's easy to want to just work with other Christians. It's just easy to want to live in that world. You know, bubble wrap the kids. You know, protect them from, from any outside worldly influence. But there's a problem with that, is it not? It's a huge, huge problem with that. Because Christ prayed about us and for us that we would be in this world, but not of this world. We see that from John uh, 17. He says, uh, in his prayer, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So the Lord has, has placed us here as believers, aliens and strangers, as the Bible tells us, to be God's presence on this earth. We're to be God's presence in this unbelieving world. We're not to check out. We're not to ignore it. We're to, to engage it. I love what the Charles Spurgeon said. He said, we must school and train ourselves to deal personally with the unconverted. We must, we must not excuse ourselves, but force ourselves to the irksome tasks until it becomes easy. What does he mean by that? It means that we need to, we need to continue to put ourselves into uncomfortable situations as Christians for the sake of, of the truth of the gospel, for the sake of having a presence in this world until it becomes our normal mode of operation, until it becomes second nature, until we really grab hold of our responsibility, until, until we get to the point where we want to be in that battle, to where we want to be used of God for his glory. So in these verses that we're gonna be looking at this morning, Jesus gives us the game plan of, of living in this world. Christ says that we're to be salt and light. Salt and light, again, we're to have a profound influence. We're to be influencers. Now, he also gives us a warning here about not becoming saltless, not losing our, our taste and, and losing our glow, and we're gonna tackle that. And, and to be honest with you, that happens far too often with Christians. You know, we may get saved, there may be an, an enthusiasm, we may, you know, tell our family and friends about the, the change uh, that, that has occurred in our life, and then we kind of, 
we kind of learn, well, this is, this is not as easy as I think it's going to be. But I, but I still want to follow Christ. And so we, we kind of settle in. We may let uh, certain sins creep in our life to where we don't take them account. We let them to fester. We let them to grow. And then, and then we kind of struggle along. And I see that a lot. I see a lot of Christians that know that there's more, know that there's a greater expectation of them, but they're kind of stuck. They're not being very salty. They're not, they're not being light. And so Jesus gives that, gives that warning. And finally, we'll, we'll close with looking at the, the ultimate purpose of, of being salt and light in the world. But let's begin by looking at what, what does it mean to be salt. Again, look at verse 13. Jesus is, is preaching and says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, during Jesus' time, we gotta get into the context and understand why, why Jesus is using uh, salt. Salt at the time had, 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 a, had great value. It was a very important commodity. In fact, the Greeks called it the vine. It was so important to them uh, some would use it to um, mark a covenant or, or, or bind a relationship or some kind of a partnership. Uh, the Romans said that salt was um, you know, almost second to none. Only the sun was, was more important than salt. In fact, it's where we get the, the term, uh, the, the Roman soldiers would be often be paid in salt, and so we get the term, you know, they're not, if he's a bad soldier, they're not worth their salt. Or they're, or they're worth their salt. You know, it made me think of Pastor Coulter here. I, I heard a rumor between services that this last week marked a year being here. And so congratulations on that. And I think you have a pastor that is worth his salt. Amen? Amen. Even after he said those mean things about my team, I'm going to respond in grace. But... Uh, but no, you are, you are blessed. You, you have a pastor that is worth every penny that you're paying him to, to be here because he loves the word and he loves you and he, he has a heart for, for this world very much to be, to be salt and light. So be blessed by that. Salt also had a very practical function during that time. Uh, it also had the function of uh, preserving meat uh, meat would, there's no refrigeration, there's no um, freezers, and so meat would, would decay. And so to keep it from de decaying, you would literally pack it with the salt. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, where they um, pack it into barrels. They get barrels and they get the meat and they get the salt and they pack it all down so that it won't decay. I remember uh, in 94, 95, going on a mission trip to Peru and you know they didn't have they didn't have the, the the ability to refrigerate things, and so we'd be at at lunch and or at, at breakfast, and you'd be sitting there and you'd watch lunch go by, still alive. They had to slaughter to be able to to eat it, and so to keep things again, they'd have to have to use uh, salt to be able to keep that meat from from decaying. And so Jesus was, as you read through the Gospels, he's phenomenal of using things of the culture to to explain things. And so what he's doing here, what he's doing with his disciples here, is he's, he's using salt to get them to understand that they have an important role and function in the world. Commentators have different ideas on exactly 
what Jesus meant. And let me throw out a couple to you and then let me share with the one that I think he's exactly referring to. Uh, some say, as Christians, we're in the world to, to create thirst for the, the unbelieving world. You know, hey, look at so-and-so, you know, boy, their life is, is, is really different. Uh, now I'm getting a thirst for, for Christ uh, as a result. And my, my wife's testimony um, is, is very much a testimony like this where she saw her grandmother uh, being so much different, being such a godly woman. And just looking at her life and looking at her actions, she, she gained a thirst for Christ. And, she, and as she shares her testimony, she talks about that. My grandmother had this profound influence on me. She, she created this thirst for me to know more about Jesus Christ. So that's, that's one thing that, and that's, and that's true, and, and commentators, uh, and what's one idea that they have. Another is, is that as, as Christians, as, as salt of this earth, we're to bring a hurtful sting to the world with, with truth. Uh, the world certainly does not want to hear that example because we get offended by everything in our, in our culture today. This, if you do any study on, on college campuses, there's this idea of uh, microaggressions now. Anything, it's little tiny statements that you might say, things that we normally would, would just say in general conversation. Well, those could, those could offend a certain segment of the, the, the college uh, campus. And so... You're learning how to speak correctly so that no one's offended. Remember what happened to sticks and stones, right? We're just a very sensitive culture. But, but the idea here is, is that as Christians, we, we, are, we are to speak truth in a situation to, to sting people, to sting them with the truth. You know, I remember uh, when I was pastoring in a rural community, a couple came to me. They weren't part of the church. Um, they identified themselves as, as, as Christians, but they, they wanted to be married, and they, they wanted me to do the wedding. And so I said, sure, we'll sit down and talk, and we sat down and talk, and so I'm just not going to do a wedding just to do a wedding, so I, I asked questions. And, you know, what's your relationship like? Well, you know, they're, they're living together. Well, what, is, what does it mean that you're living together? Well, we're, you know, we're sharing a bed together. And, and it's like, well, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do your wedding. I, I, can't, I can't bless something that the God is offended by. And they were greatly offended by that. And they, when they'd see me around town, they, there was no, no communication. It was a sting. It was a sting of, of truth, salt, salt in the wound. Both these are true. And there's other examples. Talk, some talk about we're, we're flavor to the world and a couple other ideas are thrown out there. But but really, I think the function that, that Christ is, is getting at here is that of the, the preservation, like the meat. That our presence in the world is, is to, to hold back evil, to, to, to keep the world from decaying even more. And I know sometimes it feels like, wow, are we really having an impact because of the way the world is on this fast track? But trust me, trust me, if we are raptured today, there would be nothing to hold it back. The world would get, would get it even worse. But until that time, God, is, God has us here to, to, to hold it back from, from decaying. I'll give you some examples, some very simple, practical examples. As a Christian, and people, maybe your family, work, or 
in the neighborhood, whatever. You know, have you ever walked up on a conversation and all of a sudden they, they changed the, the topic because of what they're, they're speaking about? Right, that's, that's being salt. That is, that is holding back a, an improper conversation. Or, or maybe you've been in a, in a place where a, a trial is happening. Maybe it's in the family and people start to, to want to curse God as a result. And, and you're there and you're, you understand the sovereignty of God. You understand why trials happen and you have peace. And they're looking at you going, why are you so calm? You know, and, and you're holding back. You're holding back the, that train of, of cursing God and being upset because of your, of your presence, because of your influence. I already mentioned about the, this girl being um, a joy killer. We're a joy killer to many parties that we show up to, right? The Christmas parties that your work may have, the, the drinking, uh, the, the bad conversations, the, the lying, cheating, stealing, wherever the, the, the context may be, our presence is valued by the Lord because we hold that back from getting worse. We hold it back. You think of a bigger scale, wars, Christians involved in, in politics and things that be able to, to help keep people from getting into more and more trouble. Now, being salt in this world is not an easy task. It's not an easy task. You, you will be, as I like to, to say, part of my vocabulary, if you aim to truly be salt in this world, you're going to be the village idiot. You are just going to be the village idiot in the context that you're in. When you seek to do what is right in the eyes of God, when you seek to do what honors and glorifies him, that's going to put people off. That is gonna put people off. Uh, Ryan prayed about this uh, Wednesday morning group, the Breakfast of Champions that we have. We have three different high school kids, or three different high schools where kids are involved and they come and we, we do a message and we feed these kids before they, before they run off to school. And our theme this year is being salt and light. And I started talking to these kids. I go, we, we're, we're, caught, we're tackling all the different issues that they have in school. Uh, premarital sex, language, cheating, stealing, um, all the things that they have to, to deal with as they get thrown up on in this environment on a, on a daily basis. What does the Bible say about it? How are you gonna respond in these situations? You know, how, how are you gonna live differently? And I gotta tell you, it, it scares these kids. It scares them because they know that they have to now, they have to stand out like a, a sore thumb. And if, and if we are, are truly Christians that wanna engage in, in the battle of this world and, and the immorality that is in this world, we are going to stand out. We are going to, we're gonna be going against the grain. You know, I, we used to take the kids, uh, the youth kids, to the Deschutes, and we used to go rafting. And you, you get going with that current, right? Current takes you down, you go through the rapids. Well, the Christian life is that person that tries to go the other direction, right? Can you imagine someone trying to get up, get up the rapids and going in a different direction? We got all this pulling against us. Everything in the world tells us to fit in and, 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 and be, be what the culture is. That's not, that's not what the Lord has called us to do. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12, the, 
says that all of us that desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. In fact, if you back up a few verses in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you know, the prophets were persecuted, I was persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. Now here in the States, you know, we're, we're not being martyred for our faith like, like other Christians are in the world, but, but we get a lot of labels, right? We get a lot of labels. Oh, that, that Jesus freak. Oh, you know, that religious person. Oh, you know, I don't need to hear your, your, your preaching at me. And we, we get insulted. You know, you Christians, you intolerant, hated, hateful, bigoted Christians. Those are all the things that we're going to have to deal with if we decide, and I hope you decide, and I hope you are doing it, um, to be salt in this world. This is why Jesus told us in Matthew 16, when he's talking about what true disciples are. True disciple is one that denies them, themselves. They, they take up the cross. In other words, they take up the flag and they run with it and they follow Jesus, who, by the way, I think suffered, right? Quite a bit, pretty good example for us. There's a, there's a, a former NBA basketball player his name is uh, A.C. Green, and he actually grew grew up in my neck of the woods, uh, just west or east of where um, I grew up in Portland. He went to uh, inner city school, Benson High School. Um, as a senior in high school, his high school team beat my high school um, in the basketball game for the state championship. Well, he's a phenomenal athlete. He had a full right scholarship to, to Oregon State, eventually was drafted and played in the NBA for the Lakers, won, I don't know how many uh, world championships, he won a, won a handful. But AC uh, was a man that, that was committed to um, abstinence. You know, he was not gonna sleep with a woman until he was, was married. In fact, he would go into 7-Elevens and ask him to take inappropriate uh, magazines off the shelf. He, he lived this way on, on the campus of, of Oregon State and. We'd, we'd hear the stories that we do. Um, one of my friend's uh, sisters went to school with him. We'd hear all these stories about AC and how he's just, he's just different. He's different than all the other guys where the girls are just, just flocking to them. And, and so he gets drafted by uh, the LA Lakers. Now, if I think about a young professional athlete making lots of money and I think about their purity and I think about the worst place in the world to be sent, it would be Los Angeles, right? And so here, so here is uh, A.C. Green, you know, he's playing with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and he's playing with uh, Magic Johnson and the rest of the Lakers and, and they're, you know, the, the guys on that team are, are out, you know, cruising the town and, and you, know, you know, we know about Magic Johnson, uh, had so many sexual partners, eventually uh, uh, had, had, was, Diagnosed with with AIDS, and so and so here's AC sitting in his hotel room when they're on the road. These guys are out running around with girls, and he's he's maintaining his integrity. He's he's living with character, and they teased him, and they gave him a bad time. In fact, they started a pool of of money of how long AC could could last. Well, how long did he last? Well, he lasted a complete NBA career. And then got married and, and saved himself for his wife. Beautiful story. And they recently, uh, ESPN re recently did a, they have these, like, these documentaries they do called the 30, 30 for 30s. And they did one on AC. And 
his old, uh, his old teammates, even the, the general manager talked about, about AC. And, and they, all these years later, you know, they, they told the stories of how they used to make fun of him, but now they have tremendous respect for him and his integrity. And that, that to me is being salt in this earth, living by example. And I just wonder how many, I mean, how many people that impacted. It impacted me as a young, young person hearing the stories about AC. So that's salt. Salt is, is how we live. It's how we live. It's our presence here on this earth. But you know what? It's not the end of the story. Jesus also mentions that we are, we are light in this world. And, and salt and light have a very, very special relationship. Salt is how we live. Light is what we proclaim. The saltiness of our lives validates the gospel. Shining for Christ is to proclaim the gospel. And the Lord not only wants us to impact the world with our presence, but he also wants us to engage the world boldly with the truth of Christ, the message. And we gotta be, and to do that, to truly do that and to true that, do that well and to be effective in that, we've gotta be willing to put ourselves out there. We gotta be willing to put ourselves in the situations that aren't comfortable. Like Spurgeon said, until the point where it becomes comfortable. There's a predominant pastor in our, in our country. His name is Matt Chandler. And he was a, your normal, everyday high school student engaging in normal high school behavior uh, before he became a believer. And, and Matt was blessed by God having a locker right next to a Christian kid. Christian kid that, that wasn't concerned about being the village idiot. A Christian kid that was willing to, to stick his neck out there. A Christian kid that was willing to live above the, the expectation of a, of a teenager. And so one day this, this teenager, this classmate of Matt Chandler's, says to him, says, I need to tell you about Jesus. When can we do that? And Matt Chandler got together with this, with this uh, other classmate, heard the glorious gospel, and came to faith. That's boldness. That's being light. It's being salt and light. And being light, I gotta tell you, is a great act of obedience for Christians. It is a great, it is a great act of obedience. Obedience, and I, I tell this to my kids, and I, I tell this to anyone that, that will listen to me, there's nothing greater than the feeling that we get from being obedient. Has, has anyone here been obedient to the Lord and regretted it afterwards? Gosh, I, man, that was terrible. I'm never gonna be obedient again. That just doesn't happen, right? Because obedience, no matter what the outcome is, as far as like maybe we share our faith and it doesn't go very well and the person gets very upset with us, them being upset with us does not trump the fact of the joy that we have with sharing, another, uh, sharing with another individual the joys of, of Christ. So it is, it is a, a great blessing 
that we receive when we're obedient. What does disobedience bring? Regret? Disappointment? Frustration? We want to be obedient. And I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me. If, if Paul did not take his mandate to take the gospel message to the Gentiles, do you think he would have lived with regret? Of course. But he lived in obedience. And his, and his life was, was blessed as a result. Why is he blessed? Because he's right in the middle of God's will. And it's God's will for us to be salt and light. It's God's will for us to have an impact on this world. Now, Paul's a great example, but, but Jesus is the ultimate example, is he not? Luke 1.79 says that, that Jesus, he was sent here to shine into darkness. We shine into our dark hearts, right? If we come, if came to Christ, that means Jesus has invaded our hearts with the truth of the gospel, He's brought about the conviction of sin. Some people misunderstand the nature of the gospel. They think it's joining a club to, to have all the benefits of salvation. You know, love, strength, joy, peace. No, salvation is, is dealing with our offense to God that we offended a holy God. And he comes in and convicts us of that. He invades us with the truth as light so that, that we become lights in return. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We, we, we've been invaded by light. Now we've become light. We have the knowledge of it. And like, like mirrors, we are to shine out. Now it's pretty neat for me this morning. Uh, we, did the, we did the football clinic last May here, uh, actually up in, up in Bonnie Lake. And in first service, we had um, uh, Coach Kralik, who shared his testimony at the clinic. But in this service, we have Coach Mario, who also shared his testimony. And, and, I'm, and I'm not just saying this to say this, because they, they were in services, but if we have testimonies that these men shared at every single one of our clinics, it, we will have top-notch testimonies at our clinics. These guys did a fabulous job of explaining what has happened in their lives and how Christ has, has impacted their lives. And, and we had fabulous testimonies throughout our, our clinics last year, 500 and so kids hearing the truth. And then there's a lot of parents that are standing around hearing the truth. And one of our philosophies is we, like to, we love having Christian coaches help, but we don't, we, don't, uh, we don't keep other coaches from helping because we want non-believing coaches to hear the gospel message as well. The testimony of being light. Testimony of, of sharing what, what Christ has, has done in their life. I've got a, a guy in Oregon that's gonna help come share his testimony at the football clinic uh, this year. First time ever sharing his testimony. He's scared to death, but we're gonna help him get through it. And he's got a testimony. He's gonna have to give the version that is appropriate for the kid's age, but he's got a, he's got a testimony of, of coming out of a lot of garbage 
in his life. Let me share this, though, about the balance between salt and light, because, because we miss this a lot in our Christian community. There's some very profound thoughts that, are, that have integrated themselves into the church that are completely wrong and unbiblical and not effective and even sinful in regard to, to having an imbalance with being salt and light. And let, me give, let me give you two examples. And this is the, the examples of when you have one and you don't, you don't have the other. The first example is, is that of, well, I'm gonna just live as salt. I'm just gonna be a presence for Christ. I'm gonna live a godly life, but I'm never going to share the gospel. That, that, that is a view. It's a very strong view because I'm gonna give you a quote and every one of you are gonna know it. And some of you might actually think it's a good quote, but it's actually one of the quotes that as a Christian community, we need to, we need to throw out and never use. Only, only in a sermon like this when I'm using it as a bad example. And the quote is this. It says, preach the gospel all the time. If necessary, use words. Don't ever use that in a positive manner. That is the worst one of the worst Christian quotes out there. Why? Well, all you need to do is open your Bible and you turn to Romans chapter five and, and or Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and it says that faith comes by what? Hearing. So that doesn't mean just Christian presence, right? They've got to hear the gospel message. And then you go back to verse 14 in chapter 10. It says, how will they know with, with what? Without a preacher, someone to herald that message, not the guy that's standing up here, all of us to herald the truth of the gospel. So we need to have a balance. We need to have a balance. I think I was reading through Acts, Acts 17, Paul going into Athens and he sees the sign to, you know, the worship to the unknown God. Did, did he have the philosophy of just, well, hopefully they'll see my presence and they'll, they'll respond to the gospel? No, he took it to task and he, and he told him the truth. He told him the truth. He, he lived the life of Christ. He was a, a living in the image of Christ and he was boldly proclaiming the truth. That's the balance that we need. The other view, and again, this is a very popular view, is that we're gonna, we're gonna go and we're gonna be in the world. We're, we're gonna be in it and we're gonna be of it. We're gonna participate in the things of the world so that we can be relevant, so that we can be cool, that we can fit in. And when we do that, we're gonna earn the opportunity to share Christ. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with a little compromise for, for good? Well, James 4.4 says that when we do that, when we love the world, we make ourselves an enemy to who? To God. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want that type of behavior. And, I, and this is a really shocking and upsetting story, but I, I knew a pastor, knew a pastor in, in the Portland area that bought into this philosophy. And he and his wife started to go places that, that they shouldn't go. And slowly but surely, more and more compromise took place in their life. And now, today... They're not, they're not pastoring anymore. Do you know what they're doing? He's a bartender and she's a stripper. 
we got to be careful. We have to be careful. There's a balance with being salt and light. This leads us to the warning. This leads us to the warning of the text. Verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but he says, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, he's not referring to losing our salvation because we know from, from John chapter 10, verse 27, that those that the Lord gives Christ, he, he keeps. We, we, can, we, we cannot be torn away from him. But what he's referring to here is that the salt of old could become contaminated with other minerals. It's not as pure as it is, is today. And at that time, when those other minerals would, would, would impact the salt of the day, the only thing that salt would be good for now is to be, just to be thrown on the, the path and eventually be trampled in and, and, and be done with. And so, so what, what Jesus is doing here, again, using salt as an example, he, he's warning us to not allow our lives to, to lose that impact, that, that preserving influence. And the way that happens, the way we lose our preserving influence is that, is that three-letter word, sin. Is when we allow sin to reign in our bodies, it is going to affect our influence. We've become, we've become hypocrites, right? As the world loves to, loves to, call, to call us. We, we, we need to not allow sin to reign in our bodies. Are we gonna sin? Yes, we're going to sin. But we need to give short accounts. We need, to give, we need to give short accounts with the Lord. We need to confess that sin. We need to acknowledge that it's wrong. We need to feast and feed on the word of God. We need to get in, on our knees and pray and get us back on, on track. When we allow sin to fester, when we allow sin to, to build upon itself, you know, sin, one of the greatest statements I've always heard about sin is sin will always take us uh, the places that we never thought we'd go. And so if we allow that sin to continue and to build and to fester in our hearts and to reign, well, then we lose our, we lose our saltiness. Then, then, we, then we are not uh, individuals that are, that are living in the world. We're, we're individuals that are living in the world and partaking of the world. We're not living in the world for the impact of influence. Second warning here that he gives, and that is in regard to, to letting our, our light not shine. It says in verse 14, it says, you know, you are the light of the world. It says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but in the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So he gives a couple, couple illustrations here. You know, first of, of the, the city on the hill. Yeah, I used to live in Astori. We lived there um, in Oregon for a brief time. We lived in a parsonage, helped out with the church. And, and I used to love, we'd go over to Warrington, and Warrington and, and Astori have this big bridge that, that connects the two. And when you go across that bridge, you can see Astoria on the hill. During the day, it, 
stands out. You can see it beautifully. And then at night, it's, it's all lit up. Can't hide that hill. Can't hide that hill. And what Jesus is, is warning us here is that, is that we, we cannot become Christians that are, that are hidden or undercover. There's no such thing as an undercover Christian. When we're saved, we were, as, the, as the verse showed in the, that we, we looked at through the video, we're to be witnesses. We're to let that light shine. We're to proclaim it to all. And then he also mentions about the, the light, you know, putting it under a table. Why do we, why do we put a light out? What's the, what's the nature of light? A light is to illuminate, right? It's to cast out darkness. That's why we preach Christ. We preach the, 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 the cast out darkness. You know, it's not through political change. It's not through laws. We want to see, if we truly want to see people's hearts change and their lives changed, we, we give them the light. We give them the truth so that, that darkness will be, will escape them in their lives and that they'll be saved and they'll come into a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. No such, there should be no, no such thing as an undercover Christian. Everyone should know who we are, what we stand for, why we stand for, and they should graciously and loving hear it from us. What keeps us from doing it? Fear. Scared to be the, the village idiot. Lack of love. We really, we really don't have a, a love for, for the unbelieving world. Uh, maybe it's laziness. We just, we're just want, to, want life to be to easy and, and we have a bunch of excuses to why we, we do what we do. A lot of factors into why we do that. But the bottom line is Jesus is, is warning us not, not to be that. We want to be that, that city on the hill that that shines and shines brightly in our families, in our community, workplaces, wherever we go. We have a profound responsibility in this world, do we not? We have a huge responsibility. We've been saved, not just to be saved, we've been saved to, to, to let the world know who Jesus is. And what he did 2,000 years ago on a cross for us. And we have a worthy goal with all this. In verse 16, Jesus says, he says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, your, glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, God glorified. And God is glorified through our lives. And you know, and Mentioned in the, in the first service, you know, as churches today, there's, there's so much that are, that's being written about how to grow your church. Church growth, this church growth model, this church growth pro, um, program, you do this, your church will, will grow, your giving will increase, and, you know, so on and so forth. All these little tricks, all these little programs. You want true church growth? Live as salt and light in this world. Be, be, have an impact. Be used by God to touch another human being's life. Be obedient to what he has told you to do. Let me say it this way. What he has commanded you to do. Command it. Command it. You to do. 
So let me just end with just a couple questions here. And this is for you to, to think about and maybe talk about over lunch or dinner tonight. And that is, how, how effective are you personally? How effective are you at being salt and light? Are there areas in your life that, that need to be confessed, repented of, and changed to, to be more effective? If you're being effective, how can you even be more effective in that? How can you give more and more of yourself to Christ? Where do you need to step out in boldness? What's that, what's that person that you've been wanting to tell, about, to tell Christ about, but you just quite haven't done it yet? Who is that person? And what's your game plan to, to go be light and tell them the truth? I encourage you guys to, to think about that. I have a 17-year-old senior this year, and she has grown, and, and she, uh, she wants to tell others about Christ. And she's been coming home from school and, and telling us stories. And she told a story in, in one of her, her classes where she started telling one person about Christ, and then the next person wanted to hear it, and then the next person kind of wanted to have a different topic, but the two other ones shushed that person because they wanted to hear, and then another person got involved, and, and she's coming home clicking her heels because the Lord is using her in a very, very dark environment to tell the truth. And that, that is very, very exciting to me. And I want to see all Christians be that way. I want all of us to, to be effective in this world and do what, and do what we're told to do uh, to the point of death. Obedience to the point of death as the disciples were. 11 out of 12 were martyred. One died in exile. But they were obedient. They were obedience. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this passage of scripture. I thank you for uh, Jesus. And I thank you for this message, this ex exhortation to be salt and light in the world. And Lord, I know it's not always easy. I know it's easier to, to go along with the flow or just to kind of hide out and, and, and not... Um, stick out in this world. But Lord, I know that you've called us to something greater and I've, you've empowered us with your, your Holy Spirit to be bold. And I think of the disciples that went out into the, the hostile Roman world and, and were, were faithful to, to the cause that they, they, they carry the flag of, of Christ as they went. And, and pray for this church, Father, that you would, you would use this church in, in being effective in this community. Uh, for the truth, and I pray that they would step out and that they would, they would do the things that are uncomfortable until they become comfortable. We praise you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for your grace, your holy name. Amen.